This is a Clark University podcast. RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. Hi, screen colleagues. This is Robert Tobin, and I hold the Henry J. Lear Chair in Comparative Literature at Clark University. Recommended for you this week is the film House of Gucci from 2021, made in the United States and directed by Ridley Scott. The film stars Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino, and Selma Hayek. I was hooked on this film as soon as I saw the first publicity shots, which featured Adam Driver and Lady Lady Gaga in the Alps. That really set me up for a camp fest of 1970s excess in the world of high fashion. I was always going to see this film, but ultimately I don't think it lived up to my expectations. There are campy moments, but it's certainly not a camp fest. And Adam Driver's character is so reserved that he doesn't get to explore masculinity in the way that I wanted. So my bottom line is guilty pleasure, but not guilty enough. This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by the 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 community. Welcome to RFU. I'm Rock Sommer. I'm Soren Sorensen. And I'm Hugh Manon. We're here to talk about House of Gucci. So this is a 2021 film um, directed by Ridley Scott. I think it's up for one academy award right for best makeup um i would describe this as kind of like it it has the feel of a historical epic not unlike the godfather in some ways you know it's a generational thing that plays out from we decided 1978 to 1995 right yeah like that and i i think like the key thing here is that if you've not seen it uh the two main characters uh maurizio maurizio gucci and patrick I'm not going to pronounce this right ever. Patrizia, right? Yeah. Yes. Patrizia. Reggiani, played by Lady Gaga. Adam Driver plays Maurizio. Um, are joined at the beginning of the film in an affair that kind of translates into marriage. And over the course of the film, their, um, their companionship sort of decays toward the end. In parallel with this, we see the sort of rise of a certain phase it should be said historically this is not the only phase of the gucci empire there was one before it and there were i think a couple even after it but a kind of central phase of the gucci empire is being developed and co-opted and fractured and kind of lots of family drama emerges between these two main characters and other gucci family members such as uh maurizio's father rodolfo played by jeremy iron jeremy irons um his uncle, I think, yeah. Aldo Gucci, played by Al Pacino. Um, shockingly, by the way, I just want to tell you that I did not know that Al Pacino was in this movie. And when his face appeared on screen, I literally jumped. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like he was, was just wandering around a lot and he heard an Italian accent and he was like, hey. <laughs> I mean, if you want if you want the evidence, um, still as circumstantial as it is that this is a nod to the Godfather, Al Pacino's presence is mm. it. Yeah, 100%. And and also it should be mentioned that uh, did I mention I don't think I did Paolo Paolo Gucci played by uh, Jared Leto uh, who I found was just unrecognizable as Jared Leto I didn't even know it was him until I looked at the credits honest to God and um, you know so he plays now this is Aldo's son mm-hmm. right yep 
who is kind of black sheep of the family and has uh, his own weird design ideas that kind of in some ways play into what uh, Maurizio and Patrizia, Patrizia are trying to do and in some ways are at odds with them. And it involves, um, see, this is where my summary completely falls apart because I actually don't quite understand exactly how <laughs> the legal and technical yeah. and kind of financial machinations work. And really, that's not what we're here for. Well, we're no. here for the drama. We're here for the extreme performance. Yeah. We're here for the wild costume design. I was going to say, is that because it's not in the screenplay? Is that why you didn't understand it? <laughs> yeah, possibly so. I, I do. I will say that, you know, at the point that the financial police arrive, I just thought yeah. that it turned into a Monty Python sketch. Is there <laughs> such a thing as the financial police? The financial that's I mean, possibly in Italy. Maybe it's the direct translation um, in Italy. That's what, that's what it's called. Yeah, financial police. Maybe. Maybe that's the direct English translation. It has to be. It said something along those lines on the side of the cars on, on their little army of sobs. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm hindered by the fact that I don't speak Italian, but nobody in the film speaks Italian. <laughs> that's an important thing to point out. This is a really complex film at the level of plot, but at the same time, like, again, it's just not what we're here for. We're here for other elements. I would kind of want to let, let me sort of bridge this into a discussion by just simply saying, I, I think the the key thing to keep in mind about this film is that it's it's a very bad movie. But I think the question is, is this is it bad in a good way or is it not bad in a good way? And I think that's the hard thing because there are plenty of movies that I dearly love that are bad movies. Let's just be really <laughs> upfront about this fact. The Departed is a bad movie that I love. The Room is a bad movie that I love. This is questionable like i'm not sure i love this and so that's the question the, that i'd love to resolve over the, the departed course of the is hour, the so. departed is more like a bad good movie than a good bad movie like i feel like i feel like it has these ingredients that could have made it something more elevated or something more enjoyable or, or even you know significant or something relevant um but no i oh. this i don't think good bad movies um are this long that's the i think a guilt a, a guilty pleasure or something that you enjoy kind of t like f you know for its failings or because it's camp or something like that usually doesn't take up two hours and 40 minutes of your time am i right about that i mean i feel like that's sort of like stepping over the line rocks disagree yes. <laughs> i don't know i'm still recovering from the wound of the departed being called a bad movie oh man oh, you don't think well I'm, that's I'm a whole too, different episode yeah i deeply love the departed for its badness the problem <laughs> is i don't think i love this film House of Gucci for its badness anywhere near the same at the same level. I don't think it's as richly bad, frankly, mm -hmm. as The Departed is. The Departed, and it's not even that the Depart the Departed is brilliantly executed. The parallel editing, all the you know the performances, all this amazing kind of technical stuff that's going on. The music, my God, like yeah. all this great stuff. It's that it's it's that it's trashy. Like it's like <laughs> the story is just incredibly over the top, and this story is at points over the top. Maybe we could, we could talk about, about what mm. some of those points are. Yeah. This this film is at points over the top, but it's far from consistently that way. And that's what yeah. kind of leaves me a little... Yeah, there's sort of like maybe in this case, a couple different films in this film, and it hasn't sorted into a box or the other. And if it is in fact aiming to be the godfather, aiming for great critical acclaim and sort of historical standing and legacy uh, with under stated or nuanced performances you know i you know i feel like you know adam driver is going for a pacino-esque performance um and while he is i i i believe the hype that adam driver is a remarkable talent of the present it it kind of doesn't 
doesn't do it for me here. And so if, if it's going for that, it's not there somehow. And we can talk about a few ways in which it's not, but it's, yeah, it's also not um, a good, bad film where it's not, you know, Bob said he was from the promotions of a film, right. And from like right. that sort of memification of early uh, materials with Gaga and driver uh, in the Alps, like that there was a possibility of a really campy, fun, over-the-top, playful film. And it has moments, um, but it's not consistently that either. And when I think of my favorite, like, sort of over-the-top moments from this film, it's rather, they come rather late. So I'll say I think the first 28 minutes in the traditional sense are quite tight, right? Like, it's when they, through their wedding, um, and then the fade to black and white, which is totally unnecessary formal <laughs> innovation, calling attention to itself to get into the newspaper. And then it enters like the real body of the film. Those first 28 minutes are doing like are setting us up for another Godfather. I feel like they, the, the falling in love, the familial tension, uh, the setting out on a new path in partnership together is just really succinctly and compellingly made um but it becomes a hot mess in the middle and then at the end gets out of just out of completely freaking control sometimes in great ways and sometimes in not so great ways and so some of the great ways involve a character that you, that you didn't include in the samsam which is fine because yeah we pina. didn't need everything but that's pina the Sal- salma right, hayek right. character uh who has a wickedly but like bizarre entry into this film as a television like medium uh who lady gaga's patrizia calls into but they develop a friendship and at first you're like okay there's these like additional consultation girl bonding scenes because it's salma hayek and we need to like keep her around but then in the last like quarter she comes back full force and uh, plays an integral role in Patrizia's, sorry, spoiler, (laughs) (laughs) uh, hit on Maurizio. The scene before they contract the hit, when they're in the mud bath, and (laughs) she's telling Gaga that she's going to need to stay positive to make (laughs) this work. He's not even a businessman. He can't even run a parking meter. How the fuck is he going to run Gucci? You're right. I know. I made him what he is. But when you're right, you're right. And you are very, very right. I'm gonna go see him tomorrow. Maybe you should wait until we come back from the Caymans. And then we can, we can do a nice evil eye on him, hmm? Another spell? We've run out of spells. We need something stronger. Maybe I can still do something that will work, but for that you have to be positive. I am being very fucking positive. I live for this mud bath scene, and I live for, like, the, like, the like dikey like leather murderous lesbian like in the Cayman Islands like scene that happens like immediately following um those for me 
are are where the wild fun is, which I should say, like, as and this film is, I think, attempting a sort of feminism as Ridley Scott always, like, at least half-ass tries. <laughs> and so, I mean, if there had been more, like, what this film is adding or, like, speaking back to The Godfather as is it's showing the women that, like, so easily, like, fade into the background of, like, these male, like, homosocial, familial bonding business scenes it's it's about her drive and the like sort of impossibility she faces in entering that space and playing a key role and instead like the true companionship arguably she does find with pina so like that for me is where like that that joy is it's sort of camp it's a like lesbian camp um which is not necessarily the same camp that the promos of the film set us up for yeah i mean there were two big reasons i kind of knew that i wasn't gonna like this film um or maybe three if you if you add that the the memification or that one scene of them <laughs> in the alps that everybody kind of like lost their minds over i i, I was truly disconnected from like wh- where i'm like studying the image like is there some fun to be had in this image of that they're looking so dour and kind of bored with each other and i don't know i just was like i was kind of it did, just didn't seem very fun at all to me um and then the second thing is that movies where people are speaking in accents, and this is a, this is such a cheap shot. I mean, obviously people have said this before, but movies where people are speaking in accents as a replacement for the native language of the country that they're in is is a really strange technique, and it doesn't it it makes really less sense when an actor like Jeremy Irons, who I think may, might be the most subtle performance in the entire film, mm-hmm. is like he says at one point he says in the in the scene where. He's explaining that uh, Maurizio was was this wonderful child, and he he uh, made him feel better when his mother passed away. When when um, um, when um, Al, is it Aldo? Sorry, who's Jeremy Irons' character's name? Does anybody know? Rodolfo. Sorry, when Rodolfo's uh, wi- uh, wife passes away, um, Maurizio's mother. Um, he talks about uh, Maurizio cheering him up at the funeral, and at one point he says of the candles that he, he started singing happy birthday because he, he thought it was a birthday party and that that lightened the mood and it was this magical moment. <laughs> but at one point in that in that monologue, uh, Jeremy Irons says, how you say. So he, he's 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 saying how you say, like he's struggling to find the English word for what it is. And I'm like, why aren't you speaking Italian? And then if you're not going to speak Italian, don't say how you say because you're not searching for a word in that language. Like that, that was a really strange thing to, that was either in the screenplay or improvised um and then yes and of course the third thing is that i can't i don't know if anybody else can think of biopics that they like um or biopics uh no yeah no. yeah okay good no. Bi- biopics sorry <laughs> biopics um that, that that cover that try to cover too much you know like I, mm. like I, I feel the same way the rocks did like if this movie started with the meeting with the assassins and and, and it became about <laughs> that like that would have been a great film like that, that this that that's something to build on not saying like well we're going to try to cover everything we can from the two of these these people hooking up for the first time to the marriage to you know this and that and the business stuff and i'm just like who like who am i supposed to be rooting for here like this is i don't know it was just a strange um uh, trajectory and it had an identity crisis for sure and i think at the end yeah you're right in the la- in the last act you're just like oh this this would have been fun to like make it like a a kind of pathetic crime caper like fargo yeah. or you know like where it's like these kind of like people trying to plan a crime that ultimately comes off and exactly like the way they wanted to um but she gets caught and then there might be a courtroom part of it i, I don't know there could have been something else other than what we have you know, I really I love this point about how you say um, because it's kind of like this. It's it's a truly like it's a it's a parapraxis. It's like a Freudian slip that the film makes that kind of tells you something about the film. 
And the film's attitude toward everything is in some sense right there in this decision, which is not even a decision. Yeah. It was it was bound to happen. Hollywood has to handle it has to handle language this way. There's no way this film's going to be shot with like Italian actors <laughs> who are subtitled. Like these are not options. So the only way to do this is to have all these characters speak English. And then the only question is how much do you crank up the accent? Like yeah. how much do you turn that volume up? And I, I found it really interesting to kind of think about the scenes in which there's no language, but there's, but there's sound. So like, I'll just give you one example of this, two examples. So one is, um, the situation early on where uh, Patrizia is outside on her patio, she's painting her toenails, a call comes in, and her mother picks up the call. Patrizia grabs the phone from her and stares at her with a head nod that signals, get out of here, mom, I need my privacy. So there's no no words are said there, and it feels, (laughs) I'm just going to say something really odd here. It feels very Italian, like her gesture, (laughs) the way she sort of nods her out. Like, I feel like I'm in Italy. Like, I feel like there's no cheat. There's no accent. Or at least little Italy. Um, Maybe. (laughs) And, And I feel like it totally works. The film coheres. Everything hangs together. But as soon as the talking begins, the story world fractures. But then this the second scene where this happens where there's a lot of noise but not a lot of talking is the sex scene, which we absolutely must talk about. It is one of the strangest things. It is a really aggressive on-camera sex scene, at least as far as I'm concerned, where contemporary Hollywood films goes. It might not stand up to 70s and 80s sex scenes. They go into the office. She calls, she summons him in on the intercom, says, Maurizio, you're urgently needed in the front office or something. <laughs> in, in accounting or something, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He comes to the front office and, you know, and then there's this really like long and kind of extensive sex scene at the end of which she just smacks him, smacks him across the face. And I was just like, okay, that is either improvised or a re or or a really good indicator that the film is conscious of what it's doing at the level of camp because it feels it feels I don't know like unwarranted in some sense like I get that it's part of the excitement of the scene yeah, yeah. but she just clocks him and then the scene cuts plus she's wearing his glasses the whole time we do get a shot of him going down on her, which I'll say is like a theme in like recent movies. Adam Driver goes down on women, FYI. <laughs> it's like you could do a whole montage. But there's also, I think what's most disturbing, or not disturbing, sorry, that's like a loaded word, but like uh, interest, I mean like different about the scene is that we can't tell if they're vertical or horizontal, like what right. they're doing with the cinematography and that it at least I think evokes um, a vertical position that it at least evokes a vertical position um, I think is a callback to the godfather and Sonny screwing that uh, bridesmaid in the early wedding scene against the door which was a mm. real I mean for me watching it not like in the 90s or whatever I was like what um, and I believe for the 70s was a like what moment do you guys remember in the early yeah. scene oh, there's I a whole family every day yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. For me, it's only on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's it's just like it needs to all be oriented somehow around this question of camp. And I just I, I copy down the kind of relevant 
line item number from Sontag. This is number 18, for those of you keeping score at home. (laughs) One must distinguish between naive and deliberate camp. Pure camp is always naive. Camp which knows itself to be camp, i.e. camping or camping it up, is usually less satisfying. I take this film to be a film that knows itself to be camp, but also one which does it in an intermittent way. And so to me, that's like a, it's a double whammy. Like it, it kind of, I wish the film was more intensely um, bad, like actually bad. And at the same time, I wish it was less intermittently intentionally camp. And I think if it were either one of those two things, this would really rise up in my estimation. But as it stands, I, I, I feel lukewarm. And so I'll say if we were looking for this like bad movie camp, uh, Lady Gaga is bringing it. Hmm. Right. Like her performance is there. She is going all out. She is doing what she's doing at full throttle. Um, And I just don't know what to make of what Adam Driver is doing much of the time. But to recall another like Gaga camp moment, of course, there's thousands. She's a queer icon um, in many ways. Uh, But that leather look (laughs) obsessed with near the end of the movie brought me back to her 2011 VMA Awards performance of You and I, uh, where she walked out on stage not as herself, but in male drag as a character she called Joe Calderon and delivered a monologue as Lady Gaga's scorned lover. She said, I'm just like the last one. You know, I think it's really great that she's such a star. A big, beautiful star in the sky. And then he, like, sings the song in this, like, story of this is how he's going to, like, get her back. But it is Gaga playing her own lover. Um, And she's just, like, I have never found her sexier (laughs) than in that moment. Um, And, you know, it's a very different... uh, performance but like one calling back to that sort of energy and that sort of uh yeah commitment to performance that she's demonstrated um out of the gate in her in her music career it, it occurred to me that this movie it, it could be a jukebox musical with gaga's songs that are already <laughs> written and it could have been called bad romance like that would have been yes. that would have been kind of a nice a nice twist but all for not <laughs> should we talk about the music that we do get i mean the music is really uh odd i mean so like to me the oddest uh, musical choice don't jump to the end um no i will not i'm not going to ruin i already know what rocks wants to um go to which (laughs) is the number at the very very end of the film i'm going to go to uh george michael faith being played in the wedding sequence which immediately follows the sex scene that i described so uh, we cut from the sex scene straight to the <laughs> straight to Gaga walking in in a really elaborate wedding or fairly elaborate wedding dress. Um, and at some point during that ceremony, we get uh, George Michael's really famous faith, which I just found completely incongruous. Like I get the joke, but I get the joke and then I'm like over the joke immediately. And I just thought it couldn't have been any weirder if they'd played 
Limp Biscuits version <laughs> of Faith at that point. It just the, didn't really, it didn't didn't sync up in some sense. I think it's sense. just to and tell you it's the mid 80s, right? Or like to tell you well, what but year that's, it is. Yeah. That's the same. It's wrong though, which is yeah. like also fine because like Scorsese oh, what year, does this. Yeah, what you're supposed It's like roughly, but this should have been like approximately 79 because we understand that they're getting married pretty quickly, right? There's, this is not like a long romance before marriage. So circa 79, that song is 87. And yeah, right. Rachel turned to me and she goes, what 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 is it is it the late 80s and i'm like and i and i tried to t- explain to her like film professor explain and i'm like we're gonna get a montage time is gonna pass right and like sure it does but it only jumps a couple years and like then it's like an 83 like so it doesn't jump yeah. enough yeah so, they were married right. in 1972 <laughs> so yes i was oh, way actually off. well they changed that all for the movie then because yeah i mean or, or they just or the song's just being used out of time i mean i i sort of assumed that that was just they were like laying a marker in to be like this is this year or something but yeah, yeah. i thought no, they were going to try to take us through the 80s at that moment and they didn't so it just strikes me as a weird fit it i is. mean there are other songs in the film uh diegetic songs non-diegetic songs that kind of fit uh, the time period. Uh, I'm a huge New Order fan, and they play yeah. Blue Monday, which yeah, is always welcome. Song. Anytime and I hear Eurythmics, it. which is which is a real Eurythmics, a weird choice. Here comes the rain again. Like when she says she's pregnant, that was really strange, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? And then yeah. and an yeah. Italian cover of what '60s like a monkey song. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. That happens when during a really weird scene when Adam Driver gets into a, a water hose fight with a trucker on, <laughs> on the soccer. job site. I know he like he gets a to, lot going on. In this he movie. gets it. He gets he gets to be titillated with men's and then yep. come inside to pleasure. And, Gaga. And what's so odd? <laughs> like I, I kind of yeah, that's right. And yep. I, I kind of can't figure out the, the whole thing there right so like normally so here's another sort of complaint i have about this so the first 60 minutes of this film apart from the one scene with rodolfo expressing visually his dismay about the fact that uh, Maurizio has fallen for this woman that's beneath his class i mean which is very obvious apart from that the first 60 minutes of this film are basically conflict free like it's not like there's a lot going on and it's very intricate but it's not driven by conflict the conflict only starts about an hour into the film highly unusual right mm. normally 30 minutes and you're into the f- first main conflict of the film and part of that is this weird scene where we see Maurizio out literally just like goofing around what on what looks to me to be his first day of work <laughs> with all these burly truck drivers. And I'm like, that's not how this scene goes. How this scene goes <laughs> is that they give him guff and won't mm-hmm. accept him into the fold. That's how he's a richy rich boy. Totally. So like why is he <laughs> immediately <laughs> I mean like Because it's so freeing. This is why. It's because it's so freeing to be a happy working man. And it is she and her drive for uh, capitalist success and wealth and of of the sort that he is accustomed to that like drags him back into the muck. And if she had just been happy with him being a truck driver for one of her dads, they would have lived happily ever after. still be married today. Yeah. Um, it's, it's (laughs) this, the film is just, you know, contorting itself in order to get us to sympathize with Adam Driver's character in some way, which, and it doesn't, it doesn't in fact work very well for either of them, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yes, to say that he, he's capable of being an everyman and he's having fun with these truck drivers and whatever it is. And, um, you know, but it's just, it's just a sort of like, what was that all about? And then now we're on the the next thing and it's Al Pacino and, you know, who 
is I don't know how he can't do an Italian accent, but he's sometimes a Hungarian, <laughs> and it's he's I don't know where he's from. So yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah, the scene where the scene in which uh, Al Pacino uh, really goes unhinged and goes full Al Pacino, you know, the kind of thing where he talks really quiet and then he starts yelling really loud. <laughs> like that scenario is is this is maybe the best example of that ever. There's a lot to Al Pacino's acting style, but the cliched late phase yeah. Al Pacino style is perfectly embodied in that scene. I mean, look at the stump. I don't even have a basic cable. No. I sold my share as a Gucci yeah. to them. Oh! No! 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 Oh. I know. I'm done. No. no. I'm done. No. I'm dead. No. I'm dead. No. I'm dead! Dead! I think there's I think there's one thing that absolutely we can't skip here before okay. we get to the ending. Do you want me to just say what it is? Yes. So Paolo. So, you know, if you're going to do something with camp, you've got to deal with Jared Leto's <sighs> super bizarre performances. Pacino's son, yeah. Aldo Gucci's son, who's a designer. And at one point who says, My bladder may be full, but my dreams are even fuller. I'm like a rush of water. My bladder may be full, but my dreams are even fuller. <laughs> Let me say that again. My bladder may be full, but my dreams are even fuller. Or never what? confuse shit with chocolato. They may look the same, but the taste, very different. Trust me. So I will say, I, I was watching this movie. I was having fun. I was not surprised by the accents that had been... I had been told um, I had had moments of surprise and largely involving like really fun uses, if confusing uses of music uh, and was reintroduced to some opera pieces I hadn't listened to since I was a child. Um, but <laughs> in general, this, I was like, wait, hold team- on. this quote should be on the movie poster. <laughs> it was like, in general, I was reintroduced to some opera pieces I hadn't heard since I was a child. Rock summer, Clark University. <laughs> it was like, this is the way we sell this film. Like, have you, yeah. I don't do you, know. I do you wish like- to be reintroduced to opera pieces you haven't heard since childhood? <laughs> then, then House of Gucci is for you. <laughs> you know, we, we jumped on this recommendation from Bob because at least speaking for myself, You know, I was tempted to see this. I was tempted to see it in theaters, but couldn't quite bring myself to. Um, And so I was having a good time, if confused time, watching it. And then we get to the very end. And I'll say this follows another Godfather reference, if not done as exquisitely as it should have been, which is like this assassination parallel editing scene where we cut between Patrizia in the bath uh, and Maurizio uh, about to be shot, um, she having put a head out on him, and you're like, okay, we're wrapping, we're wrapping this up, and the sort of post climax, um, you know, post murder scene is is her returning to the house, uh, looking around, returning to the scene of wealth, and maybe for just a minute, minute she believes it could be hers. Uh, she extricates the girlfriend um, and and wanders through this palace, and the music cue drops, and it's Tracy Chapman's "Baby, Can I Hold You Tonight" from 1988, which at this point is early since we're in the mid 90s, um, but you know a song that could be listened to at that time, uh, and we soon cut to 
two years later where she's in court and we are starting to learn through titles on the screen uh, that she has been found out for this murder. She's being sentenced to like 26 years in prison alongside her accomplices. Um, as Tracy Chapman continues to sing, perhaps one of the most beautiful romantic songs of all time with the Italian resonance in that this is from her 2000 uh, performance with Pavarotti, the opera singer who, yes, I loved as a child. <laughs> um, and I am just confused as to who these emotions a are meant for. Is this about Patrizia and Maurizio and their love story? Is this about our love for Patrizia and how she just didn't quite get it, didn't quite make it? Or like, is this, you know, th these are, these two characters are um, not heroes. They are anti-heroes in the Godfather tradition, but nonetheless, the other titles that are coming up are telling us about this evolution of this company and it's being new, it's new helming by Domenico, who is a character we haven't talked about, who's sort of in the background of everything, the financial the purse holder, as you will. And yes, that is going to sound like a homophobic slur because yes, in fact, he is gay. That's revealed very late in the film. And his crush, <laughs> Tom Ford, uh, is the new creative director of Gucci. And it's going to like bring Gucci into like huge fashion prominence, cutting edge, you know, out of history into the present of the late nineties. Um, and so this weird like lesbian icon on the soundtrack emoting and these like semi gay villains being brought in to tie things up very late. I suddenly was like, Whoa. And I, I felt like the movie had just freaking like slapped me in the face and it wasn't campy. Right. So like to Bob's question about, is this film camp? Is it as campy as we'd like? If it's campy in the ways that we expected, uh, it just felt like like really homophobic at the very end. Um, and I don't like if they were true gay villains, again, if we had started with like the collaboration to kill um, yeah. and there had been like the stronger Tom Ford plot line, <laughs> like I would be I love a gay villain. But like instead, it's very half assed and done to Tracy Chapman. And I'm like, what are you doing to me, Ridley Scott? I'm yeah, like yeah. so frustrated. And I realized that, that we had the tiniest amount of foreshadowing that perhaps this was, there was a queer story here because I went back and rewatched the beginning and how they meet at that disco party. She is a beard of a gay man at that party. Her friend Max oh. calls her up. She goes onto the dance floor with Max. He starts flirting with another man on the dance floor and she brings him in. Right. And so there's this sort of like gay bookend to this movie. Um, but I'm also confused if if we're if we're getting like a heterosexual melancholy with the Chapman. I'm so confused. <laughs> what did yeah. you guys feel? What about that I use of that film, song? The film doesn't know what it's doing. I mean, I, I think that's it. I think it's it's co-opted just like every Hollywood film, it's kind of like doubled back against itself. It doesn't quite have a handle on its own vision. And if it does, something happened and it got like focus grouped to death or I don't know what. Like supposedly there was a scene, there was a sex scene between Pina and Patrizia that 
was filmed and hit the cutting room floor. Well, that changes everything, right? Yeah. Yes. So, like, well, I just I think that I think the film is the, mu- the mud the bath fact that it's really that, long. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. The mud bath scene did, it sort of was a good proxy right. for that, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like my my lesbian reading of the I didn't know that, but like Sama Hayek is like lesbian icon for Frida Gaga with Telephone with Beyonce with a thousand other things. Yeah, like uh yes, that it was ripe for for such such content and that's a total bummer. I want that and movie. I'm, I'm stating that as fact, but I don't know that it's a fact. I just read that as some aside on some um movie review page, but I mean, I could I could see that and I could uh, you can almost once you say it out loud, you can imagine how that scene really does culminate a plot line and yes. in a certain way or or at least plays into a certain plot line. Um and clearly seems like it was now that you say it oh yeah that does seem like a scene that was probably omitted from this because Mm. their their whole plot truncates and just doesn't really like it does it leads to the murder and by the way pina is pina goes to jail yeah in reality yeah we don't like we see the titles at the end but like after the film's over she pina's in jail so like she's a major player she's one of the four major players in the murder but is really like minor as you said rocks like yeah. minor in the course of the film so i i kind of feel like that's like my attitude toward this film is it doesn't look we've talked about a couple other films this way it doesn't really own its own premise in a way and kind of doesn't in the end feel like it knows what it's doing and that bugs me or not even the premise, just the, the the its own genre or its own techniques or something. It's just kind of all over the map. Um, and maybe Ridley Scott would say that that was the point or something, which is just kind of a cop out. But it didn't. It doesn't work for me. Uh, yeah, I, I had a hard time with it. For but sure. it's basic. It's like very basic uh, filmmaking. Like who is this song speaking for? Yeah. Well, who is the totally film unclear. for in general? It's kind of like the Succession audience or something. It's like. Lots of rich people kind of screwing each other over in, in, in nice houses. It's just like I, I'm 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 curious if the if the public's you know appetite for this kind of stuff will ever wane, or whether we'll just kind of always hope that it's going to be a camp masterpiece or you know something that we really really get into. But I this was something I kind of I was destined to not to not love for for the aforementioned reasons, but also just because it's about sort of rich people complaining to each other. And then somebody's ambition gets completely out of control to the point where she murders her spouse. Um, you know, so I, I don't know, but you know what, two things about what Rox just said, um, Tom Ford and Domenico solid coupling right there. Wouldn't you say? Um, and also I love when Tom Ford gets the good news about the, um, about the the success of his, of the the, the first show. And he goes, I gotta go call my mom in Austin. He says in Austin, like, it's like, it's like, it's the most expository, like, if you're a screenwriter and and like you're it's like we have to say that he's from Austin again like why like they they say he's from Texas in the thing like what saying I have to go call my mom is enough you don't have to say I have to go call my mom in Austin that was the weirdest line for me but um yeah I was I was rooting for Tom Ford in there for for obvious reasons um he has he's a lovely film career of his own (laughs) yeah I mean if I if I can quote Maurizio in the film about the film like there's this scene where they're trying to do spousal bickering I'm doing air quotes you can't hear those online but I'm doing air quotes spousal bickering between the two protagonists it's just absolutely ridiculous and and he says the ultimate spousal bickering line that's like the biggest cliche in the world he says you're filling the story full of unnecessary details (laughs) which is the ultimate husband critiquing the screenplay of the film that he's in right yeah, exactly. It's really funny. Oh. <laughs> Would we recommend this film? Uh. If it was ninety minutes, I'd say have at it. But man, you, you are making a 
if you have a soft chair and a, you know a, a decent meal in front of you, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I I'm. I, I have only not recommended one so far, and I'm going to not recommend this one. I was trying to think as to whether I have ever not recommended, and so I definitely have not recommended. Yes, you two both do. Romance I always and end cigarettes. Up some, I definitely oh. did not recommend. Ah. Uh. See, this is like the traditional, like, this is the film professor problem. My first time I watch it, I'm like, what a mess. Right, right, yeah. Um, It should have gone this way or this way. Give me, like, a few weeks with the script. I'd get it all together. But but then I start studying it. Like, I watch it, like, a second time. And I start like there's so much to talk about. And like, so I'm like, glorious. what does rec-? and suddenly I'm like, what does recommend even mean? Like I found yeah. plenty to think about, and that's how I feel about everything. But um, read the Wikipedia page. Yeah, <laughs> skip to the end. Watch the, all the Salma Hayek scenes. Highly recommend. Um, the rest, not so much. Yeah, you know, I would explain at great length the fact that the paradox of this podcast is that we're not committed to our own premise in the first <laughs> no. place that, that so like the premise of the podcast has to do with you know us in the end recommending the film or not but none of the three of us <laughs> really like that idea and i would explain yeah. that except the financial police are here and i've got to go <laughs> hop on your scooter i'll see you in switzerland got my vespa fired up <laughs> thanks bob thanks bob thanks bob Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu. That's rfu at clarku.edu. Or you can leave a voicemail with your suggestion at 508-798-4355. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. RFU logo by A.J. Simmons. Can I can I get us all to do a line read? Yeah. A line read of what? Jared Leto, hopefully. Okay, here's the line. Right. Don't even look at... Sorry. <laughs> I can't even say it out loud. <laughs> Don't even look at me, you lying sack of potatoes. Don't. Can I get a line read? Wait, are we supposed to say it too? Yeah, don't. In, in, with the accent. You, you want me to... Rox, you say it with the accent. I don't... I, it's got to be really high-pitched. Don't even look at me, you lying sack of potatoes. <laughs> but it's, it's higher. It's like, don't even look at me, you lying sack of potatoes. Don't even look at me, you lying sack of potatoes. Potatoes don't even lie. <laughs> That's right. they roll? Potatoes, potatoes do not right. lie. Of, of all the tubers, they're the least inclined to lie. Because they've got eyes. I don't know. They're hiding in the dirt roll. for a lot of their existence. I think they've got they've got something up their sleeve. <laughs> they're the most trustworthy of the tubers, clearly. <laughs>